We got Verizon 5G home internet. It's from Verizon. Safe choice, right? Well, some things that look great end up being not so great. Like the time you bought a shrimp roll from a gas station. Ugh. Or when you bought that used sports car. <laughs> What about when we got Billy that drum set? The point is, Verizon 5G home internet sounded great. But turned out to be something else. And we deserve fast, reliable internet. We deserve Xfinity. It's time for better internet. Switch to Xfinity. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Verizon 5G facts. Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, welcome to episode 146 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer book club podcast where Captain is King, Marissa is Queen, and I am your host, Bethany Finger. Today's episode is brought to you by the Rampy and Crew patron supporters. Thank you. Please welcome my Honest Book Reviews podcast first-time guest. Hi. Hello. <laughs> we're Holly and Willow. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't heard of us before, we're not very big, but that's probably why. Yeah, we're on Holly's um, page, My Honest Book Reviews. Yeah, that's, that's what we are on Instagram. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about your podcast and then how you found Marissa Meyer's writing? Yeah, so our podcast, we started a little over a year ago. Yeah. We don't have very many episodes out, but we mostly re- we mostly talk about books that we read as like a, a book club um, with our Instagram followers, and we just kind of talk about them. Yeah, Holly started the Instagram page originally just because she really wanted like actual honest reviews, bad or good, and then we just... <laughs> started making she started the book club and then we decided to start podcasting because holly tried to do it by herself and realized this is really awkward to talk by about a book all by myself so yeah let me grab my sister who <laughs> also read the same books so yeah so we we just read the we just read the books together and then we talk about them together and give kind of a rating and talk about similar books or books by the same author sometimes just a little bit mm-hmm um, but our Marissa Meyer journey, I think you started reading her first. Yeah, our other sister, there's four of us sisters, and the youngest one, she, I don't remember how she found the books, but. I, I did buy her the book for Christmas one year. Is that how but, she got it? So that might have been the reason why okay. she started reading it. I got it really cheap, like a used book on Amazon or whatever, because mm. I was very poor that year, so I just bought everyone's <laughs> like $4 books on Amazon, and that's so, what libraries are for, right? exactly, it's great, that, that's all I got them for Christmas, pretty much, and um, so I got her that book, and she and liked yeah, it, yeah, she had told me of- that she liked that book, and I had heard about it, I was in a I was in college as an elementary education major, and I was in a children's lit class, and um, someone had mentioned the book, and then when my sister said she had read it too, I was like, oh, I'll read it, and I was like, wow, this is actually really good. Let me read all of the books now. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I knew it was popular, because I'd seen it before, so that's why I bought it for her. I was like, oh, Heather's a young adult. Why not get her a young adult book? So... Yeah, it started, that's how it started, and so I read the, that and Scarlet, like, right after each other, and then there's a huge gap of years where I didn't read any, um, 
And then I hopped back in with Cress and had forgotten most of the first two books. So I just kind of was a little lost. Crazy. Red Cress and Winter and, and the rest of them. But Willow had recommended Renegades because she was like, that's way better. Renegades is my favorite of her books, personally. It's my Renegades favorite. is an amazing series. It's, it's good. It, yeah. Her writing is amazing, and it improves with every series, and Renegades has that mm-hmm. uh, that complexity factor to it. Yeah. Um, and, and it will be very fun when we get to that in, like, three years. Yeah, I know. <laughs> It'll be great. Um, we're looking forward to it. Um, yeah, so I, when I finally read those, I was like, wow, this is even better. Because um, I'd read all of the Lunar Chronicles. And then I ended up reading the graphic novels as well. Mm-hmm. And then Heartless, Finally Instant Karma. I still haven't read Gilded yet because I know that it's a duology. And mm-hmm. I I don't want to be waiting on a cliffhanger. <laughs> it does have a pretty big one too. And um, you don't have to wait long because the new one is coming out in November, November 8th. So it's exciting. Don't yeah. have to wait too long at all. Got yeah. it pre-ordered we will, Me too. I, I mean, I haven't even read the first one yet, but I have it pre-ordered. But I haven't, but we did put it as our book club read for the Instagram. Um, for November. For no, no, not for November. For the, oh, for September. Oh, October oh. is Thornjack. Right, right, right. September is. For September. Um, so that people would have time to read it or reread it before the next book comes. So... I will read it soon. <laughs> Yay! Which is very exciting because Gilded is uh, her first venture into gothic fiction, and she does not disappoint. Yeah, it was really good. Good. Well, I I, I assumed it would be good because <laughs> she's really good. And then you can finally read the Cinder's um, wedding adventure. Oh yeah, I have. Oh, that was so much fun. We're gonna. It's gonna be uh, a bit difficult to do an episode on that, but I'm gonna make. I'm gonna figure yeah. it out when we. When we get there, I'll figure it out. It's going to be a bit of a challenge. That'll be impressive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I so find that one. <laughs> is there anything that you're currently reading or currently covering on your podcast? Um, I am a little far behind. So I'm reading Endurance right now, which is really fun because they just found the Endurance. And so we're going to do an episode once, Pretty, once I finish comparing that to South, which is written by Ernest Shackleton. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you? What are you reading? Right now, I mean, the books I'm reading actually make me sound cool because I'm reading like um, Death on the Nile and um, what else? 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, uh, Shatter Me. But like I just finished a couple kid books too. Me too. So... <laughs> um, but yeah, those are the ones. And Dune, which isn't my favorite. It's taking forever, but it's fine. I'm determined to finish it. Yeah, so. this is the first one. Don't don't even. Yeah, I'm not gonna try the other one. There, it's it's so long. There's so so many vocab words. <laughs> yeah. It's hard when I I used to struggle a lot uh, with the do not finish. Like it was always this anxiety thing of like, well, I started it, so I really should finish it. But I, I had so many books where I would like force myself to finish thinking it would uh, it would get better by the end and it never did. And then I just got to a point in the last uh, few, I've been going through a lot of st- tough stuff over the last few months and I got to a point where I was like, life is really not that long. And I have like 
500 books on my TBR pile. Right. And I'm wasting 18 hours with this book that I can't stand, like literally forcing myself to read it over a silly little thing like anxiety. So I yeah. forced out to just have to overcome that. And I have to tell my, I kind of have to tell myself whenever I don't finish a book of like, it's okay because there's a better book around the corner. And just because that book wasn't for me doesn't mean it's not good. It right. just means, you know, it's not meant for me specifically. That's a good thing to realize early on. I yeah. <laughs> That's something that I'm like, I have a problem with finishing series too. I hate starting a series and not finishing it, even if I don't like the book. Ugh, so I have to like force myself to not force myself to finish the series, you know? And that can be really hard if it's a series. Yeah. I'm like, I want to know what happens to these characters, even though it's poorly written. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> That's you know, I don't even mind if it's poorly written. Honestly, if it's a good story, I can look over all of the poorly written features mm-hmm. and just absorb like the story and the characters. For me, it's it's if the story and the characters don't work, that's when I'm not invested. If okay. the writing is like a little juvenile or could use some work or improvements, I'm like, whatever. Is the story there? Is the story yeah, written? Yeah, enough you can totally see past it. Yeah, yeah. right. Especially mm-hmm. if um. If the writing's just bare and not overly fluffy, if that's, if it's just really, Concise. like, like it's written for kids, like, I'm cool with that. Yeah. I, I love kids' books. But if it's super wordy. But if it's super it wordy, sometimes I, I cannot. I like words when they challenge me in terms of, like, vocabulary, but if it's, if it doesn't feed the story, if it doesn't yeah. add to the enjoyment of reading, it feels unnecessary, like. I, I like when I'm reading a book and I'm like, oh, what a cool way to say an entire sentence in one word. I'm, I like this word. I'm going to remember this word. Mm-hmm. When I'm like, you clearly just clicked on a thesaurus every time you had a word, I don't enjoy it as much. Oh, yeah, I, I yeah. agree. And that's the problem with Dune, too. It's, there's like a glossary in the back because it's all these made up words. That they never. Oh, that's hard. That's the type of book that like it's it's better if you read it like three or four times because by that point you understand everything. But that also means you have to force yourself through it exactly. several times before you can fully enjoy getting immersed in the actual story. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if it's worth it for the story, but so I mean, some people really like it. I just don't. Yeah. I'm. Yeah, just and it. it's not for everybody, right? Yeah. Yes, it's true. As all books are. As all books are. And that's okay. <laughs> Everyone else is entitled to their opinions. We all have different um, book preferences. I, I'm notorious. People judge me because I didn't much enjoy The Night Circus, which is uh, kind of like a young adult. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that one. I, I have. Yeah. It, it's become more popular in the last couple of years, actually. It came out oh, maybe a decade ago. And mm-hmm. I bought it because of the cover. The cover is gorgeous. Um, yes. It's a very popular book. I have a friend, uh, Dari, who says it's her favorite book. So I really want to give it another try. But I remember the first time reading it, I had to force myself to read that whole book. And it was one of those books. I finished it. And I was like, that took me 26 hours. I could have read like two rom-coms in that time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like books you actually <laughs> Yeah, so I'm like, okay, maybe I should give it another chance. Maybe I'll listen to the audiobook on like 2.0 or something, get through it really fast and see if I like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I've definitely done that with books that I just don't mm-hmm. like very much. Mm-hmm. Swiss Family, Family Robinson. It might have been just a bad translation, but I hated it so much. Some of those old, I, I'm a, a librarian, so some of those older books that we 
that people, I shouldn't say we, because I don't necessarily agree, um, that people consider classics are actually a, a little bit frustrating because it's like you're forcing someone to read a book that they otherwise might not be interested or engaged in. Um, yeah. My go-to is The Hatchet. Yeah. We tell like nine-year-old kids to read The Hatchet. And it's like two re- two years ago, they were reading Magic Treehouse. They have no interest in this book. Like, yeah. And then we wonder why they don't like reading. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I know it's not applicable to them. How? Why? Yeah. If, if you tell a little kid you can read this hatchet book, it's won all these awards and it's a literary classic, or yeah. you can read this book about warrior cats that try to fight each other over who gets control of the forest, and the forest is alive with magic, and so are the cats. Right. They're gonna read the cat book. They're not gonna grab the hatchet. Yeah, like, I, I remember as a kid seeing Newbery Award and going, oh, that looks boring. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, there are going to be some kids, I don't mean to isolate people, there are going to be some kids that, that read The Hatchet at nine years old and fall in love with it and think it's a wonderful story. But no, I, I think, think, I, yeah, I think uh, in reality speaking, most kids are probably going to choose a different book. It, it's the equivalent of telling a kid like, oh, you can watch uh, National Geographic or Spongebob. There are going to be some that want to watch National Geographic, but there are going to be some that really want that pineapple under the sea. Yes. <laughs> that is a nice thing about having so many different types of options. I hate, as a teacher, I hated when, like, you would, yeah, I hated shoving kids into, like, one category. Or yes. They, you're like, you can only read in your reading level. Don't go above. I hate that. Oh, don't I, go below don't go above yeah so much I'm like no 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 just if they want to read you should let them read whatever they want and that's why I'm such a big um advocate for like comic books and graphic novel literature because mm-hmm. it's like dude they're still reading what are you so upset about yeah yeah <laughs> oh or when I was um subbing they would always have like the kids just they say oh I'd rather them read on epic rather than reading the physical books that were in the classroom and that bothered me too because I was like there's a limit for what's on epic whereas you have all these books in the classroom anyway let's let them explore them and find something else they wouldn't necessarily find on that app I don't even know what epic is we can talk about that later (laughs) it's an an app that they will let kids read books on all the time and then they can track like what books they read and the reading level and do like quizzes and stuff and comprehension. and Interesting. Yeah. It's a whole thing. I, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a way to try and manipulate kids to read in a way that they probably wouldn't read organically. Like mm. they get points for how many They get points. Oh. So then they have to, but that also means like maybe they read a book and they're like, Oh, I really like this. And they get to the end and there's no points. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, and they feel like completely defeated. Yeah. Or they'll just get a book and they just like, click the page turning so that they get as many uh-huh. as they can oh. and just flip through books and don't actually Dang. read them. Yeah, that's, that's, Try to navigate the system. That's not <laughs> great. I mean, I, I the, the thing that I did like in elementary school, I liked to battle the books, books, because those were, there were a ton of them and you got to share the responsibility with the other kids. Different genres too, and yeah. There's different genres. Mm-hmm. So I liked those books. And I think the people who organize those are very like that's a lot of power to have because I still remember <laughs> most of those books that I read as a kid. Um, like Stinker from Space, that's a good one. <laughs> I always tell other teachers because I know that it's hard. It's hard to make time to 
read every single book that the kids want to read. But um, mm -hmm. I always recommend this podcast called Fictional Hangover Podcast because they go through uh, one of actually both of the hosts, I believe, are librarians and um, they go through books in like an hour and a half. But they tell you like every single plot point that's important. And then they discuss the books enough that you as a teacher can learn everything you need to know about First of all, whether or not you want to include it in your curriculum, right? Um, but everything that you would need to know if the kid came up to you and said, I just read this book, what should I read next? Or they just wanted to talk about the content with you. Um, because that really is, there's a limited time in the day. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I know people say we all have the same amount of hours in the day as Taylor Swift, but I'm starting to think I don't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's fair. So I think that uh, that's, that's what, if you're a teacher or a parent or a librarian, that's what I recommend. If you don't have time to read, all of the books or you don't care about YA books or whatever, I, I recommend listening to their podcast and getting the information that way. Um, because I know there are some librarians and it's a daunting task, so don't feel like you have to do this, but there are some librarians and English teachers that tell the kids, read what you want and then write a report. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the, the, you know, and some teachers are like, well, I don't know every book. What if they pick a book I'm not familiar with? Well, maybe there's a podcast about it. Or if it's a really short, they're like nine. Maybe you can read it. Yeah. Um, personally, I have no desire to read a book about warrior cats. But I acknowledge that they are ridiculously popular. And it is my job to be yep. familiar with the content. They are insanely popular. They are. My niece loves them. Got one for her birthday. <laughs> they're like the, it's like the new Harry Potter. It's like everybody reads them. There's little spin-offs everywhere. Actually, no, not Harry Potter. I would say it's like Babysitter's Club. And, yeah, it's more like Babysitter's. Because uh -huh, really they're, they're really small. They're really digestible. Yeah. And there's different like genres and categories of them. And they just keep multiplying like actual cats do. Yes, there's so many. I like We went to a library with my mom a couple months ago. And um, I was like, Look at this. This is the Warrior Cats books. These are all very popular to the young children. You don't know this, but now you do. Here's all of them. <laughs> and they're not bad. They're well written. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, okay, I'm 32. It's, I'm not their target audience, but they're <laughs> well written for their age group. They don't use too many words. They don't use too big of words. They do challenge the reader still without having overly constructed sentences that are difficult to absorb and digest. Mm -hmm. They offer relatively short chapters, so readers get to feel very accomplished every time they finish a chapter. Um, there's a lot of world building involved, and then there's still like the fun whimsicalness that actually gets kids invested in reading. Totally. And everybody loves cats and dogs, especially kids. They love kittens. They love puppies. How many kids want a puppy? I know. Everyone. Every yeah. kid doesn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so these books, there's a reason they're popular. And so if you're a teacher or a librarian or a parent and you're like, but I don't want to read a book about warrior cats, that's fine. That's totally fine. But don't tell kids that they can't. Yeah, I know. Because it's not the hatchet. I don't know yeah. why I'm harping so bad on the hatchet. It's just like an easy <laughs> go-to. Because that's a typical one. That no, it's, it's a typical one. It's one that people, and it's one that people fight me on. They're like, they have to read The Hatchet. And I'm like, but why? Well, it's a great piece of literature. Yeah, but to a nine-year-old? No. That's I'm not disagreeing that The Hatchet or or uh, The Iliad and The Odyssey and Homer, Romeo and Juliet. Yes, those are all wonderful works of literature. Why are we asking a nine-year-old to read it? I mean, unless they want to. <laughs> yeah. If they want to, yeah. right, but we're telling them they can't pass fifth grade English. That's a little intimidating. Yeah, that is, that's, that's a lot. I mean, our, one of our sisters um, did read Aragon in like 
first grade. But that's uh-huh. that's just her. That's she just wanted her to. personality, yeah. and she wanted to. That was like her thing. Because her older sisters were reading it, and so she wanted to read what they were reading. I think she might have read it for me. <laughs> but I think you're gonna have that. You're definitely gonna have kids that love those more challenging books. I I loved Tale of Two Cities when I read it as a freshman, but mm-hmm. every, there literally was not a single person in my class that enjoyed that book. And I was in an AP English class, mm-hmm. so like we all were trying to read more advanced literature. I mean, we wanted National Honor Society, but but that's what we were doing. I was the only one who actually enjoyed the content of the story and its wordiness and. Charles Dickens got a penny per word, so you know he used every yeah. word he could, right? But but I I thought it was a great book. I think it is a wonderful piece of literature. But I also totally understand why like thirteen year old boys and girls, mm-hmm. you know, would rather watch something on Disney Channel than read a tale of two cities. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> While we're sidetracked. Um right. so <laughs> Let me get off my high horse now. I'm re- <laughs> I'm reading <laughs> I'm reading Meet Me in St. Louis by Heather Snyder. Oh, um, yeah. It's such a small book, but it's so sweet. It's like a little rom com. Um, it's a about a, a young girl. She just graduated high school and she's trying to go to college. And uh, in order to win this scholarship to go to college, she has to do this um, scavenger hunt. And she has to like go find random things all over her town in St. Louis. Um, but of course, other people are also trying to find those things, oh, including one of her best friends. So, um, and one of the most popular guys in school. So it's a really cute little rom-com. I do recommend it. I thought it was adorable. I'm almost done with it. So that's why I say thought. By the time this comes out, I will have completed the book. Right. Yeah, well, I just looked it up. So she can find it. You said it, it's, looks- it looks adorable. It, and I love the cover. I think it's so cute. It looks like you would expect a rom-com cover to look like in young adult fiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fine. I'll put it on my, on my list. Yeah, Willow was in the play when she was uh, in middle school. <laughs> I loved the film Meet Me in St. Louis. I read it like, not read it. I watched it every Christmas. It had some good music. It's yeah. Yeah. Story's kind of random but the music's great yeah oh I don't know I love at the end when he comes in and he's like I love you and then he just like walks out oh that part is really cute (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about some fan art Friday first we have from uh yeah I can't say this p-h-o-b-i-w-a-n-s on Instagram um and it's just Kai and Cinder Kai is missing Cinder a lot in these chapters, and he's worried about her well safety and well-being, as he should be. Uh, so I just wanted a little callback to their love. It's such a cute picture. I love it. I like the little forehead touch. It's adorable. I know. For some reason, that kind of, those, like, small interactions are sometimes more intimate, I think, than, like, yeah. full-on affection, like, There's a touch of it. Yeah. And more... I don't know. Yeah, it's more intimate, more, like, meaningful than just, I don't know. It's not, like, sexualized. It's just precious. And I need also, you in my life. They're also kids. I know. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. It's nice. <laughs> no trap, you know. But, yeah, they, they're, they like, no hormones involved there. That's just intimate. I need <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, in these chapters, he's just. He like, misses her. her. Like, he's, like, looking out the window, like, just. 
Where are you? He's very broody and, and uh, <laughs> dramatic about it. Yeah, for sure. Yes. He's like, I'm missing out. Everyone else is trying to. Lots like, of FOMO. Yeah, he's, FOMO. he's got quite a bit Lots of FOMO. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> we get it. We understand. Yeah. <laughs> so the next one is from Millie Hansen, and it is Queen Lavana in her wedding dress, her blood red wedding dress with that golden sheer veil. Um, it's perfect. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with this picture at all. I love it. It's so foreboding and beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I like the um, the delicate um, chains, the gold chains that they talk about in the book, like dripping from her skirt, and also the way that they pulled, that uh, they made the red skirts. It kind of looks like blood drops on the end. Yes, don't you love that? Cool. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I mean that's what Kai says. It, it looks blood red, and then later he says like it. It pools on the ground, and I was like, "Ooh, a pool of blood!" But um, and winter's always seeing everything bleeding off the wall, so it also fits with that. Yeah, yeah it does. And Lavana's always got blood on the throne room floor, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> she does. Classy. So, <laughs> thank you to Millie Hansen and P H O B I W A N S for letting me share your artwork. You can find more of their artwork on Instagram and on the Prince Kai Thampad website. Um, Patreon members got to vote for chapter titles. So chapter 43 is These Dreams by Heart, which I was really happy about because a lot of my patrons are young and that's an old song and I didn't think it would win. (laughs) Um, Chapter 44 is Breakaway by Kelly Clarkson. Nice. And (laughs) so now we've got chapter 45. A few weeks ago, I had someone ask if before we covered each chapter, we could do a quick summary of uh, both the chapter before and the chapter we're about to cover. So last week when we left off, Cinder and Wolf got captured by Amory and the crew. Thorn and Igo were ready to storm Artemisia in search of allies and friends. Winter and Scarlet, for some reason, are going to go and seek out wolf mutant soldiers. And Jason and Cress have fled Artemisia. In this chapter, in chapter 45, Kai is, like, super excited to get married. Uh, <laughs> Lavana delivers him the head in the bed from the godfather, and then she finds out that Jason did not actually kill Winter and that he's missing. So that's my summary. Yeah, that's it. That was it. <laughs> so before we talk about Lavana being a gangster, um, we're in Kai's perspective, and the last time we saw him was actually several chapters ago when he was recording Lavana's propaganda video. So it's been a, it's been a couple of weeks now, and or not a couple of weeks, yeah, probably about a day or two. I'm really dramatic. It's been like two months for me on the podcast. It's been like two days for <laughs> Kai. Um, so he has no idea what's been going on with anyone on Luna, but he finally got uh, an opportunity to talk with his advisor Torin because he threatened. Lavana that he wouldn't marry her, which I think is kind of an empty threat because with that antidote, we know he's going to marry her. Yeah, and she knew that, but the fact that she actually, like, gave in was... Right. You know, she was just trying to appease him, keep him doing all the things she wanted to do. She also knew, like, she could control everything and 
she probably can see. She has probably has cameras in his room. Yeah, she she's like, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with? She's Troy? like creeping on him when he's like picking his boogers and then stuff. Yep. I mean, I'm sure she was peeking in and to see oh. his reaction when he found when he was given the when he gets the finger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he finds the head of a horse in his match on his mattress. <laughs> um. I love the language that we start the the chapter out with, star forsaken rock. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was great. That was brilliant. Good job, Marissa. <laughs> I also love Torin. Torin is always so calm, so well composed, so put together. Um Torin is what we all wish we could be like when we have anger issues. <laughs> like we get myself, for example, when I get really mad, I can't stop smiling, even if I'm mad, because it's just like a reflex or something. I don't know. And I get crying, even though I'm not like actually sad. I'm just the anger is welling up and I don't know what to do about it. So then it's hard for people to take me seriously when I'm mad, right? I, I cry too when I'm mad, I was going to say. So I get that. Yep. And we're short. So. And but my- then Torin is just like so chill and calm and collected. Like, mm-hmm. Torin is that guy, you know, and it's like, good for you. I can't do that, but good for you. Yeah, I mean, it's no wonder that he's Kai's favorite advisor. But he's also sassy sometimes. Yes. Like, he is, is, like, sassy in the most educated way possible, you know. <laughs> he he gives burns that make people go, like, I know that was a burn, but I don't actually understand what he said. I know. He's a fun guy to hang out with. Yeah. It's like <laughs> he would, in fact, be a fun guy to, to hang out with. <laughs> You, although I, you know, what would he do, right? You'd be like, let's go get a beer, and he'd be like, I don't drink beer. Yes. Be like tea. Yeah, I'd be like, I will be the driver. Yes. I will be the driver. Be Shall I drive you? No, it would more be like, do you think that's wise? Yeah. Do you think what? that's wise decision? Especially, you know, if if it being given that. the situation. Uh huh. Yes. He'd be very controlling, but he'd be fine in a, in a nice, kind way. Torin um, is also the voice of reason here. Kai, the reason he hates the Star Forsaken Rock um, is because he can't get any news. He's desperate to find out what's been happening with Cinder. Oh, did her video get out? How are the people reacting to her video? How are the people reacting to Lavana's video and the death of the princess? He has none of that information. And Torin is like, okay, let's get something straight, kid. If you did have access to the news feeds, do you think it would be accurate and up-to-date information? Yeah. yeah. And that's where I think it's, I consider that some sass, but like in a yeah. way, you know. But I, that's more sass of like, oh, I'm talking to a child. <laughs> <laughs> but also making fun of this huge country, you know. <laughs> yeah, this country that has uh, a political corrupt and discord and completely distorted media access and um that that's what the the children that's what the people of luna have access to is this disruptive inaccurate form of media that's used to do nothing but brainwash and manipulate them and kai is like i need to see it and torn's like no you really don't it's not going to give you the answer you want it might not even be true yeah yeah be helpful (laughs) and like a kid kai ignores him (laughs) (laughs) so Torin also brings up a pretty good point Kai wants to know wouldn't the people of Artemisia be curious about what's happening in the other sectors and Torin says no because 
they enjoy all the splendors of Artemisia and that luxury would be tainted if they knew the suffering of the outer sectors. Um, and I'm going to call a maybe into question here because so far the aristocrats that we've seen consider everyone beneath them. So I think even if they knew the suffering of the other lunars, they wouldn't care. They would think, well, that's what they're there for. We're the superiors. It's the same way they treat earthens. Yeah, I think... Uh, I don't think they would care. I don't think they'd feel guilty at all. Yeah, they, they might not. I, I don't think most of them would. Some of them yeah. maybe. Well, because I feel like most of them, they see each other in their level of importance as how well they can use their glamour and they... I mean, the poorer people aren't really trained to use their glamour very well either. So they just like, kind of, I could control you so easily, so you're beneath me. Yeah, and I, I think also the um, stuff that they talk about with the the people in Artemisia in this chapter, it reminds me of the Hunger Games. And I mean, yes, absolutely. Too. just like they, they're like the people in the capital. And yeah, they might feel a little bad when they see how bad things are. But they're still willing to hold the Hunger Games. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's, how bad do they really... It's separated. Their sympathy only goes so far, yeah. right? Because they're literally not even in the same sectors as these people. So it's easy to just look the other way. I think also the superiority complex is interesting because they consider themselves to have a better uh, grasp on the gift. And, and we can sort of explore why that might be. We know that Lavana is extremely powerful with the gift. So there is a, a slight accuracy to the superstition that the, the Blackburn legacy there, that they have a better control of the gift because they're the ones who first had it supposedly. Mm -hmm. um, but we also see uh, children in Artemisia like Master Charleston who train from a very early age on how to use the gift. Uh, we see that uh, Winter had tutors that were supposed to help her learn how to uh, use the gift, and she was supposed mm -hmm. to get really good at it. Um, and and she kind of just stopped because she didn't want to. But at, there was a time when she was becoming a, a masterful, uh, skilled lunar in terms of using her gift. So there is something to be said about the people in the outer sectors, whether it's because they don't have access to the same uh, training and tutoring opportunity. It might also be a ge geographical thing. Maybe there's something about the location of Artemisia that they get exposed to the solar rays more and they have better control of their bioelectricity. That The science there is a little, it's not explored very well. Sorry, Marissa. Uh, it's not explored enough that we can, you know, have a, a, an actual like hypothesis and uh, experiment and confirmation of it. But it is interesting to think about what it is that gives someone more or less power over the gift or skill. Well, yeah, I mean, um, Winter didn't come from from a, an elite family. Mm -hmm. She she wasn't from a noble family, and those are the ones who are supposedly the most powerful. And yet she it she was as a kid, and but she still could wasn't. be. But her dad wasn't. We don't know about her mom how she was at it. Yeah, they don't really say how she. They don't was. really say anything about her mom and how powerful she would be. But, but yeah, there is something to be said about if they had access to education, mm -hmm. could they be better at it? Well, I mean, we see that in real life. Like, yeah. I lived in Guatemala for a year and a half, and I lived in both like the mountains where people 
Spanish wasn't their first language and they had native Mayan dialects. And I also lived in the city and people who were in the city had better access to education and were overall, you know, like more intelligent and um, were just had better access to lots of things and like health and everything. And if you lived in the mountains, you were less likely to go to school. There were a lot more people who were illiterate and a lot more people who, you know, like just didn't have the same living situation because they didn't, there was no way for them to get out of that living situation, you know? And so. And we they, still have that here in the United States. Yeah, uh, we have, yeah, sure. we have literacy deserts and technology deserts where people have less access to uh, education and opportunity. There's a, a video, I don't know who made it, I saw it on the internet one day, but it's a really powerful video. It shows um, eight teenagers, they each have a table and they're separated by a curtain and they're all asked the same questions and given the same allotted time to answer the questions accurately. And one table has laptops and internet and the other table has <laughs> library resources and books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the table with the laptop is like, this is the answer. This is the answer. This is the answer. While the other table is still searching through uh, encyclopedias. And it's because of that. It shows you the disconnect between what people have access to. Yeah. Because if you need to know when George Washington's birthday is and you don't have Internet, you're probably going to need a George Washington in uh autobiography that would be like my first go-to or or a history textbook from that time or or something but you're not going to be able to just google it and get the answer in 20 seconds yeah yeah you're not gonna have the option and so you might not even try if you don't have the easy access to yeah so then you end up learning it you're like is it even worth it yeah who cares (laughs) you've been dead for a while Whatever. <laughs> well, and it's interesting to think about because obviously Marissa, in the in this context, I think it's pretty obvious that Marissa was trying to explore a contrast between the wealth and luxury of Artemisia and the, the starving conditions of the outer sectors. I don't know if it was intentional, but I hope it was. Um, but she's also exploring the luxury of education and the opportunity to train and take the time for education because if you're working a factory job where you're working 60 hours a week, when are you going to train? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, so um, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I think that she definitely did a surface level exploration of the the different luxuries in terms of um, education as well as wealth and power and, and resources. Yeah. And there's only so much you can fit into these books. There's already mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, this book is already huge. It's already 25 hours long on the audiobook. Yes. Right? But the audiobooks are amazing. They are. (laughs) Rebecca's hilarious. She's so talented. There's a small mention here of Kai's punch in the face and that it's healing nicely. And I think Marissa put this here to remind us that it's not been very long. I know. Or to remind us. I was only like a week ago. Yeah, you kind of forget because there is so much and there's so many characters that were falling. We forget that it's mm-hmm. that we forget that it's been like two days. Yeah, right. he's got like a, a bruise there. Mm-hmm. He's literally the Americans uh, also found Thorn's ship, and I love that Torn is like, who cares? He's a thief. He's a deserter, and then it's like you can tell Kai is like, but he's my friend, and it's Thorn does not approve of this friendship. And I I love that like they're already 
Like, he doesn't have very many friends. It's like Torin and then <laughs> Cinder and all her random friends that just also just happen to be in her way. She's like, right. There's like no other friendships going on. Yeah, she's like, oh, these people were along the way and are my allies now. And now they're his friends. And these are like his, it's his only friends. It's yeah. Nancy and Torin. <laughs> and- <laughs> So like, an old guy and an android. Yes. yes. He's a little protective of one of his first. A little bit. Yeah. Um it's great. So there's a lot of like tiny things in this chapter that are interesting. We get some imagery of the domes of Luna, um, and that outside the domes is nothing but wasteland, which wink wink, nudge nudge. I need art of this, guys. Yes. I need fan art of Luna, please. Email me. Um, (laughs) And the big ending of this portion of the chapter is Lavana's godfather moment where she sends Kai a beautiful box Mm -hmm. with Cinder's finger in it. Yep. A tap at the door startled Kai, but the surprise was suffused with dread. So it begins, he muttered. Enter. It wasn't a wedding stylist, though but one of his own guards in the doorway, holding a small package wrapped in strips of colored velvet. Pardon the interruption. This was delivered by a servant as a wedding gift from Her Majesty the Queen. We've tested it for chemicals or explosives and have deemed it safe to open. He held the package toward Kai. You mean she doesn't intend to blow me up before the ceremony? Said Kai, taking the box. How disappointing. The guard looked like he wanted to crack a smile, but he resisted. Bowing again, he retreated into the corridor. Kai made quick work of the wrappings, eager to be done with whatever new torment Lavana had devised for him. He was picturing a very tiny ball and chain as he lifted the box's lid. He froze. The blood drained from his head, seeping all the way down to his feet. A cyborg finger was settled onto a bed of white velvet. Grease was smudged into the knuckle joints, and disconnected wires jutted out one side. His stomach twisted. She has cinder. But she literally sends him a velvet box with his girlfriend's finger in it. It's horrifying, and it's it's some Godfather-level right here, you guys. This is mafia stuff. Are you guys still there? Yeah, sorry. We were, we were wondering if you were playing it or, or pause or whatever. No, no, no. I'm, I insert it later. Okay, you cool. You got it. It's um, much easier to insert it later. <laughs> I yeah. love that the guard didn't even, like, they're like, we tested it, but we didn't peek to see what it was. That was. Or they saw what it was and they were like, keep a straight face. We can't be the one that tells them. Well, also the guard, Um, I, I thought it was interesting comparing him to um Jason. Like, he's. He's concealing a, a smirk or something. Yeah, he tra- wanted, oh, to, crack wanted to crack a smile, but he resisted. But Kai could tell that he wanted to crack a smile, whereas Jason is so serene. And I just wanted to compare, like, Kai's the Earth Guards versus. Yeah. Well, and what bothers me is that it's one of his own guards. Mm-hmm. One of his own guards in the doorway. It's like, does that mean he's an Earthen guard? I think so. I think it's an Earthen guard because, like, let them in with him. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that maybe he was laughing at Kai's joke. Yeah. She didn't intend to blow me up before the ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. He was laughing at that. Yeah. 
Uh, but yeah, I just find it interesting that yeah, the earthen guards don't have to be so on guard. So stoic. I mean, they're guarding, mm-hmm. but yeah, so stoic. But they don't have to be stoic. They don't have to be taciturn with their emotions. They can uh, be more expressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's true. Sorry, something just got knocked over, and I have a tendency <laughs> to gasp very dramatically when I'm surprised. Um, <laughs> but that is uh, the end of this portion of the chapter. Our next portion of the chapter is Lavana's perspective. So Lavana is super happy. Cinder's captured. Winter's dead. She's about to be the queen of Earth, and she just sent her husband-to-be his girlfriend's finger. So she's feeling... Pretty full of herself right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everything's going her way. She is has never been higher. <laughs> she's so she's so happy that Amory shows up without knocking, and she's like, "Eh, even you can't ruin my day." I know. <laughs> she doesn't even really like Amory. Do any of us? <laughs> He's, so He's almost worse than her. He's worse than her right now too because he has interesting news. So real quick, it's mentioned that. She never takes off her wedding band from Everett, which is something that's been established throughout the series. But I do like the reminder that at one point, Lavana was capable of her definition of love. Mm -hmm. Not love to the context of most people, but her definition of love. It's like a reminder of she's happy that she's marrying and getting resources, but it's not the same kind of wedding or marriage that she had with Everett. Mm -hmm. So Amory comes in. And has some suspicious information. They discover Jason's pod chip, and it just so happened to be in the same mining sector that Cinder and all of her friends were in. And Lavana is like, well, we have footage of Winter's death, so who cares? Do we have footage of her death, though? We have footage of, of her being stabbed and lowered to the ground, and there's blood. But then there's all this disrupted surveillance from the rest of the night. And it just so happens that in this hallway at that exact moment, the camera goes out, mm-hmm. which nobody noticed. I want to point out that Crest was successful. Nobody noticed this for like, what, three or four days? Yes, that was honestly awesome that she's able to make it look so just normal. Yeah, and doing scattered. enough random ones. To, mm-hmm. uh-huh. to yeah, she knows her. She knows her stuff. She's a good hacker. She did a good job. Yep. So Amory suggests that the murder may have been staged and that he went to get Jason for questioning, but Jason is actually missing. He didn't show up for his shift, which started two hours ago. Mm-hmm. That's Don't the, be suspicious. Don't that's the thing. If he had it ran, she probably would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. Even if he got lashings for being kidnapped, so... That's true. I, I'm not sure he would have been... I don't think he would have necessarily gotten off easy if that were the case. He would have had to have done something to prove that he killed Winter, which he can't do, right? Yeah. So he probably did make the best choice in running, but it does make her more suspicious than she already was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I think it's interesting how she's like, only guilty men run. But the only thing he's guilty of is not killing someone. <laughs> right, he's he's guilty of not following orders, right? Yeah. Not being loyal to her. And yet she also says like, "Oh, this weak-minded guard or whatever." And I'm like, "And yet he outsmarted you." I mean, right? <laughs> so stupid is he? Yeah. 
The other thing that we'll talk about before we finish this chapter, it, one, I really like the phrase, your coming happiness. Mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting. Lavana says that Jason's parents are going to be executed uh, in response to his desertion. Lavana also says that winter is dead so long as the people believe she is dead. She doesn't actually have to be dead. Everybody just has to think she's dead and that's good enough, mm-hmm. which I think is also true for Cinder. There were rumors for years that Cinder had survived, but it was never a, a problem until someone actually showed up claiming to be Celine. Right. As long so as I'm just curious what you guys think of this concept of like the truth doesn't matter. It's the perceived truth that's important, especially with politics. I mean, mm-hmm. and and that's that's why I feel like it's more foreshadowing. Like, OK, as soon as she shows up again, it's going to cause problems for Lavana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, as long as it just works in her favor, she can manipulate the media. Manip- you know, she, we already know she controls the media, so she can manipulate it to work to her advantage. But um, if, you know, someone shows up and says, hey, I'm Winter, I'm alive, or, you know, like, I'm Winter and you didn't kill me, or I'm Celine and I'm alive, then that's gonna... Yeah, Winter is very recognizable, so it's it's gonna be very difficult to claim that she's not alive. Um, but Cinder was lost as a baby, uh, so nobody knows what she would have really looked like. And those rumors were always just seen as just rumors. And just right, I mean, there was no evidence to it. I mean, we have rumors... Um, and conspiracies within our own world. Oh, the moon landing, <laughs> JFK assassination. Diana, <laughs> Earth is flat. <laughs> the Earth is flat, 9-11, yeah. aliens. Um, we have conspiracies within our own civilizations everywhere you go. So it's definitely interesting to think about where those conspiracies may have had origins. Um, and to think if Celine had never come out of the shadows if, if Dr. Erlond had not told Cinder who she was and she had just been executed and that would have been the end of it this sort of conspiracy that Celine was alive would have just eventually dissipated because at some point you can't be alive anymore right I mean mm-hmm. for decades there was a conspiracy that Adolf Hitler had survived World War II and was hiding somewhere in South America but we're past a point where he could likely be alive and on the planet anymore so even if that were true the conspiracy has sort of died with his expected age exactly yeah like it wouldn't matter anymore exactly exactly (laughs) there's nothing there's no consequence that can be done with it yes yeah Yeah. i also at the end of the chapter i also find it interesting how she wants the parents to be killed immediately so they won't taint the ceremony like yeah we'll forget the deaths real quick because it happens so often. Yeah. A little messed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's she's ruthless. And doesn't really care about her people. It's sad. But Yeah, and that's that's kind of uh, where we leave the chapter. Her ruthlessness is very evident. We had three examples of it. One, sending a finger to Kai. Uh, two, dismissing the life or death of Winter, and three, executing Jason's parents without uh, really any investigation whatsoever into Jason's betrayal or disappearance. I'd also like to point out, 
Jason's parents were people that she was friends with back in the day. Like her uh, friends is a little loose. <laughs> Everyone's friends with them and she tolerated them and they yeah. tolerated her. But yeah, they, they did know each other on an intimate level. Yeah, they knew each other and they were at like parties together, you know, like Ella. She didn't really have any friends. No, but it was, you know, her husband's friends. Right. So she has to yeah, tolerate them and like civil towards them. Maybe she's just cutting off one more aspect of her old life like she did with Winter. With Winter. Because they knew her at that time when she was not as powerful, so that's true. Mm -hmm. Just be trying to get rid of the last people that see her as not as powerful. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Who knows? So that's the end of chapter 45. Let's talk about our chapter titles. Do you want to start, Willa? Um, mine for chapter 45 was, um, wait for it, from Hamilton by Leslie Odom Jr. Um, I just think of... I haven't seen Hamilton, but I do love Leslie Odom Jr., so... Yes, he has a... I kind of want to vote for it just for that. (laughs) Yes. He, um, I loved that one because Kai is just like literally just waiting around and he just feels kind of useless you know sitting there he like he did his part and he knows cinder's out there doing her part but he can't do anything at the moment and like she has all this stuff to do and all these things to prove and he's like trying to but he can't he's just stuck in the moment just waiting i like that one (laughs) and mine is um back for you by one direction because i love one direction um and I mean, it starts at the beginning, whenever I close my eyes, I picture you there. Kai's thinking about Cinder all the time. This is his only thought besides everyone's going to die here if when I marry Lavana. Like, mm. everyone's going to be in her control, and the whole government are going to go down. But also, I miss my girlfriend. But also, I miss my girlfriend. And, and also... He's got a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. And also, there is more of that waiting. He's, he's like, hoping she'll come back. Um, mm-hmm. back for him and he'll be a part of the plan and again instead of like forced to marry Lavana. he's still hoping she can like get him out of the situation until he gets the finger yeah yeah and it also kind of applies to Winter and Jason because Jason's going back for her um and now Lavana knows that so exciting so my song was In the Dark of the Night by Jim Cummings. It's from the Fox Anastasia movie from 1997. So um, one, obviously, I think there's been, there's a lot of parallels between Anastasia and Celine, uh, the whole concept of burning alive and uh, the, the missing princess and lost during wartime and uh, things like that. But also, guys, I love this song. I love the little bat dude from that movie. I think he's so funny. I um, her cat after that bat. Yes, <laughs> I love it. Um, so the lyrics in this song are really, in particular, I think that they suit Lavana. This this could be Lavana's villain song, you guys. Yes. Little, um, little critter thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, be cute. That's a good one. That is cute. Yeah, I love the refrain. In the dark of the night, evil will find her. In the dark of the night, just before dawn, revenge will be sweet when the curse is complete and she'll be gone. Oh, doesn't that just sound like Lavana's nightly oh, prayer? Oh yes, that's, that's <laughs> so her. <laughs> 
there's a lot of different references in the song. I don't want to read like the whole thing, but it's literally just like, uh, she tried to take my throne away from me, but don't worry because I'm going to kill a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) Patreon members will get to vote for which chapter song, uh, which song wins the chapter title. Let's talk about your quotes. Okay. Um, first. I can go through mine. Okay, so mine is. Ah, I was back on here. Okay. Um, he'd known that already, and he regretted how naive his question sounded, but he couldn't understand it. And and that's just Kai talking to Torin about the whole, like, doesn't everyone in Artemisia want to know what's going on in the outer sectors? And I, but I just love that he couldn't understand it. Like, he knows that might be what they're thinking, but that is not how, that's not in his nature. Mm -hmm. And, and like, and then it goes on to tell the story of the homelessness and his, in the Commonwealth and how upset he was at that. And even though he was super upset about learning about the numbers and they kept him up at night, he still wants to know. And I just think that's so cute and so sweet. And it really shows his character. I know that he really cares about his people and wanted to not just like care about them from a distance and still, you know, live his nice life, but was willing to try something to help. So, yeah. It's a good one. Um, my quote was, um, you mean she doesn't intend to blow me up before the ceremony said Kai taking the box? How disappointing. Just <laughs> really just shows his personality. Cause I too am very sarcastic and, you know, that's just kind of how you have to cope sometimes and that's the only way you can cope like with him because he is you know he can't throw a tantrum he can't go kill somebody (laughs) so how does he cope just by saying sarcastic things and you know self-deprecating and I love it because we've all been there (laughs) I agree so my quote was sometimes it was better to be ignorant Ignorance is bliss. Mm-hmm. It's true. <laughs> there have there's been information I've gotten in my life that you know I'm like I was happier before I knew that, and I didn't really need to know that. So why'd you tell me? Yeah, I know. Like honestly, the one that comes to my mind is uh, my parents got divorced when I was uh, 15, mm-hmm. um, and that's when I found out I was adopted. And it's like. I was happier not knowing that. I mean, okay, if you're listening to this and you were adopted and you're really happy you found out, good for you. I'm very happy for you. But I personally was better not knowing. Yeah. And I was 15 and I was already questioning the world around me. So it was like a very dramatic exploration period for me between the ages of like 15 to 18 where I could not get my shit together. So... Yeah, that's yeah. I don't know. I, just, I think that I think that Torin is always wise. You know, everything he says could be like a poster, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is one of those pieces that will stand out to me because sometimes ignorance is better. Sometimes you don't want to know the answer to your question. Um, it's like Schrodinger's or Schrodinger's box. You guys familiar with Schrodinger's box? Yeah, mm-hmm. that might not be. <laughs> So if you're listening, some of my listeners are really young, so they might not know what the cat in the box is, but Schrodinger's cat is the concept that 
you could put a cat in a box and it's either dead or alive. But as long as the cat stays in the box and the box stays closed, the cat is both alive and dead because you don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of how Kai is right this second. He does not know the answer. Cinder could be dead, but it could just be a finger. And it might be better for him to hope that she's alive than to have confirmation that she's not. Yeah. And I think it's, I like that line. Sometimes it's better to be ignorant because he's talking about, you know, not knowing that she, if she's okay or not, but it also just kind of goes back to the, the capital people, the people that, you know, Artemisia, I know. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, it goes back to them. They're better off not knowing the sacrifices of others is uh -huh. what provides them with their luxury. Right. So he's like, yeah, I guess it is nice better to be ignorant, you know, in a different way. But yeah. No, that's a brilliant point. I didn't even think of that. Good job. <laughs> oh, thank you. Real quick, we're going to take a break to hear a word from one of our podcasting friends. Hello, everybody. I'm Megan. And I'm Samantha. With Literary Lushes. And we want to tell you about our podcast. Join us every other week as we dive into a sci-fi or fantasy novel where we also drink cocktails inspired by the novel. We post YouTube videos of us making the cocktails. And a lot of the times we even have the authors on, including Dennis E. Taylor, Marissa Myers, and even Angela Roquet. So join us because you don't want to miss the podcast that's been described as not taking ourselves too seriously. And with that, we say stay, stay lively with your libations. libations. Chapter 46, you guys, there's really not a lot to discuss. Kai is getting married to Lavana. Mm. He's kind of struggling. He, he's, I feel like he's just going through the motions. Like, he's going through, is Cinder still alive? Okay, putting my tux on. Is she dead? Okay, putting my shoes on. Is she dead? Okay, walking down the hallway. Is she dead? Okay, there's Lavana. Like, he is, like, got this mantra in his head worrying about Cinder all the while he has to perform his duty, make his own sacrifice for the lives of the, the, the country that he uh, serves and represents, but also the entire planet of earth, no pressure. Right. I, he, he, he like keeps thinking that it's, you know, he didn't think he'd ever get this far. Yeah. <laughs> now he is. It makes me think of like, um, I don't know if you watch Stranger Things. Um, I have not, but I've heard I've heard good things about it. Yeah, I just finally watched it, and you know, like there was a part, and you think that they're gonna save somebody before it happens, and you're you're waiting, you're waiting, and you're like, okay, they're gonna save, you're gonna save this person, you're gonna save this person, just like Kai, and then it gets farther than you think it should have gotten, than it, you know according to the plan, as all movies do and stories. At least one person. Yeah, painful. And so that, I think that makes me think, okay, you know, he didn't think he'd get this far. But yeah, absolutely. And, and it's one of those things, I think we've all had at least one experience in our life where we're like, that's so, uh, that's so ridiculous. It could never actually happen. And then the days leading up to it, you're like, oh my God, this could really happen. Are you serious? And then it happens and you're like, what just happened? Yeah. yeah, the aftershock. <laughs> and I like early we don't talk about politics in this in this podcast, but that's what's coming to my mind right, right now is that I've been alive for 32 years, and I remember several elections throughout my life where people are like, "Oh, I guess he could win." I know. There's just some crazy. We've had a lot of crazy things going on there. Yeah. Right? There's there's crazy things. <laughs> it, it's it's, um, it, it's kind of like 
in American Idol when when people would be like, vote for the worst or whatever. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're the only ones that are going to actually need help getting a, a recording contract. <laughs> yeah. Or um, when my daughter was born, she was born in April 2020. So like right when the pandemic hit. And oh. I joked because um, we live in Oregon and we had the forest fires that summer too. And like, oh, no. we were on like um, alert to evacuate if needed. We didn't have to evacuate. We were like on the like... We were in a basic county. Yeah. And so um, I was like, man, too bad. Um, Those like, you know, baby milestone stickers don't have like first pandemic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) First, um, like forest fires. You know, because like there was all these first first world tragedy that I survived. Second world tragedy that I survived. It's like, okay, this is a lot in the first year. (laughs) I was jokingly like, I need to make some updates and stickers yeah. for these milestones you, you can sell those i know like my first mask or you know, my first covid vaccine all these things but it was yeah. crazy that and it was all happening in her little tiny life <laughs> but yeah oh man that is crazy yeah i i think that there is something to be said for our expectations versus the reality of our expectations because 2020 was the biggest Mm-hmm. Uh, shock to the system. I remember when it first was mentioned in like January, December timeframe and people had talked about doing a shutdown and I remember being like, they're not going to do that. Yeah. And then I remember when they actually did it and it was like supposed to be for two weeks and then every week after that, and then it was masks versus no masks and doing social distance. And even now there are people that are like, you should be wearing a mask. And um, the military base that we're uh, assigned to right now, they have a mask mandate in place. You have to wear your military, you have to wear your face mask. And it's like, this is crazy. That was a year and a half ago. And this is still like up for discussion. Yeah. Some people. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy that like we like looking back like three years ago, we would never see ourselves in this. Oh my gosh! When this book, when this series started in 2012, the very concept of a pandemic of this proportion and magnitude was just like, oh, that's so obsolete. We're we're past that as a society. No, we're not. I know, but it's also funny. But, but it is interesting. Marissa has in other like interviews and stuff has addressed the fact that like, yeah, maybe I should have had them wear masks. Yeah. I know. But at the same time, at the same point, this is technically still a pandemic. Uh, well, I think it's called an endemic now because it's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And we do have some people that wear masks and some people that don't. And even when you were supposed to be wearing masks, there were people that refused. So, uh, you know, maybe she wasn't that far off that there were plenty of people not wearing masks during that time frame. And it's also been like, 16, not 16 years, like 10 years, 10 plus years. See, maybe that's why Kai doesn't have a lot of friends is because he was literally quarantined <laughs> and isolated so that he wouldn't get sick from people. That's- Social distancing. <laughs> I do love like reading books or watching movies and they use the word quarantine. You're like, you guys, you don't know what that means. Like, I do not think you know what that word means because you're not, you're not actually quarantined. Inconceivable. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Exactly. I think that all the time. <laughs> that's really, honestly, guys, that's all that happens in this chapter is that Kai has to marry Lavana, and every moment of this chapter is just him trying desperately not to open the box. Mm-hmm. 
not to pee. Every, all of the Lunars are extravagant and over the top and excessive and just downright silly. Uh, but he knows that it's all a glamour. It doesn't mean anything. Um, and I, I think it's interesting. We see Prime Minister Cayman is marrying them, which is fine, right? Um, but I think it's interesting that she offers him a sympathetic but very curt nod or whatever, mm-hmm. because I really think every earthen leader should be like sending Kai goodie baskets and like naming their babies after him and yes. thank you cards and flowers in the mail and gift cards and everything, because he's making this huge sacrifice to save the planet, the whole planet. Not and nobody crazy. seems to give him any credit for it. If anything, they're like, hurry up and get it over with. We want to go home. I know. Yeah. He's- yeah. I mean, I understand the people who don't agree with what he's doing, which one of them stayed home, right? So, I think so. Well, yeah, but he died for it. So, I'm not sure how much he got out of that. I forgot about that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. He's not doing it just for his country. He literally is doing it for everyone else, which. Right. And they do need to be very, very grateful for him. Cause, and right about. And they're not. Isn't that horrible that they're not? Because he's a teenager, which is sad, it's but so true. Rude. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't like how they treat him. I, I do like when he like calls them out sometimes or gets mad at them. I mean, it's kind of proving their point that he's a teenager, but at the same time, he has every right to be mad. I know he's going through it. I'm like mad on his behalf, and it's fiction. Yeah. <laughs> I think he definitely has every right to be upset. So that is what happens in this chapter. We end with Kai standing in front of a crowd of thousand people. And uh, about to marry Lavana, it ends with literally Lavana taunting Kai. Of course she is. She's in her scarlet red dress with a gold veil, which thanks to Millie Hansen, we got some beautiful fan art of. Mm-hmm. The chapter ends with the wedding has begun. Typical Marissa. Dun, dun, dun. I know. And like it's real interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about your chapter titles for this one. I will start. I did Sit Still Look Pretty by Daya. Um, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce her name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this goes for both Kai and Lavana. I mean, for for Lavana, she's kind of like, I want to be a queen who actually does something instead of just sitting still. Like she's gonna she's gonna look pretty. That she yeah, like uh, Channery wanted to be known as the queen that never stopped laughing, but Lavana wants to be known as the queen that got Earth. Yeah, she's like, I, I'm going to be pretty, but I'm going to also do stuff. And and she's like, I'm not sitting still. And then, um, and she's like, I'm going to rule the world. But also Kai's like, um, warning you guys, she's going to try to rule the world. And also, he doesn't want to be a toy or a puppet, and that's what they mention in the song. And they also even mention Snow White, which makes it kind of perfect. <laughs> which, that part of the song doesn't really fit as well. It's just like, Snow White had seven men to do the chores. But, so that doesn't work <laughs> as well, but the fact that it has Snow White in it kind so of makes fitting. it more perfect. Yeah. Um, mine was Stand Tall from Julie and the Phantoms. Apparently both my songs had to be musical theater, but um, that's fine. <laughs> I have several listeners and Patreon members who appreciate that. I guarantee it. Yeah, it's an adorable show. Um, but at the end, she's her friends are all gone, and she assumes they're um, 
gone forever or and so she has to go on without them and still do what they had planned to do and so it just makes me think of Kai and he's he thinks that Cinder's you know he knows she's either captured or she's dead and he thinks the plan has failed and yet he still has to go on and stand tall whatever happens even if I'm the last standing which he assumes he's the last one standing I'm a stand tall and so yeah it's just kind of that's literally what he's doing he's standing there and taking that deep breath like I have to marry Lavana because this is what like this is what I have to my do. only choice I have left yeah like I yeah it. so good choice so I chose I write sins not tragedies by panic at the disco <laughs> mm-hmm. good one you know, guys, I'm still in my emo phase, apparently. I've been choosing emo music for, like, months now. Every once in a while, I toss in a Taylor Swift song, but apparently my vibe has been going back and forth between the two. I have to say a, a quick shout-out to uh, Pirate King on my uh, Patreon, because every time I choose an emo song, they're like, who did it? Who picked an emo song? It's always me. Always me, you guys. <laughs> Um, this song is iconic if you are old like me okay Uh, it came out in 2005 it's by Panic at the Disco Mm -hmm. and I love this song it's so spilling the tea it's so gossiping in the back of the church while people are getting married and saying oh my god I can't believe she wore that oh my god I can't believe they're getting married did you hear what she did no did you hear what she did like I love it so much and I feel like this is like I could hear this song playing like while Kai is walking up to the altar. I could see this song being a music. This could be a music video for that song. Yeah. Like he's just screaming this in his head. At, like yes. the people and be like, oh my yes. gosh. What are, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's having a panic? <laughs> he's panicking and it's almost a disco. Not quite. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Yeah, I just love this song. I mean, technically, I don't think there's lots of lyrics themselves that fit with what's going on. I just really like the song. And the message of the song is about like a shady marriage. Mm -hmm. I should say a sham of a marriage that's built on lies and distrust and um, advantages. And what a coincidence. I think that might be Kai's current marital status as well. Does it love her? What? What? <laughs> remember, remember Lavana was like, oh, like, do you really think I care about monogamy or whatever here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She thought it was such an earthen concept. She's like, oh, you earthen. Yeah. She's like, I don't care. Like, you can have as many lovers as you want. <laughs> I'm like, well, that was not so hard. <laughs> monogamy is such an earthen concept. Um, She's above that. Yeah. The, well, and I'm, and keep in mind, who was... Lavana's sister. I know. Yeah. Lavana's sister was Channery. It's like the opposite of monogamy, which is your, dude, your choice. Yeah. If you want to be monogamous, go for it. If you want to like sow your oats and hang out with whoever you want, go for it as well. Whatever makes you happy. <laughs> yeah, it's not my thing. Personally, one relationship is enough work. Like being married i'm very happy with my husband we love each other very much do not misunderstand me but relationships are work and sometimes it's a lot of effort to make yourself and another person happy at the same time and i don't want to do that with multiple partners that sounds like more work that's probably why channery didn't really have relationships. partners <laughs> yes it's just like mm, you're 
a boy toy. <laughs> Have you guys ever seen Princess Diaries 2? Yes. Yes. When the guy is talking about Nicholas, he's like, Nicholas doesn't have girlfriends. He has dates, but attractive ones. Well, so is that, was so. that was shannery. That was <laughs> shannery. Yeah. Yeah. So Patreon members will get to vote on chapter titles for chapter 46. Let's talk about the quotes for this one. Okay. I, you want to do yours first since it came first? Mine was um, Brave, Determined Cinder, Smart, Resourceful, Sarcastic Cinder, which is Kai is thinking about her and that's how he describes her. Not, and I just appreciate that he doesn't describe her as like pretty or because she is pretty. Oh, right. She's beautiful. But, you know, the important things like, and the things that he misses about. (laughs) Yes. And that sarcasm is an important, like, you know, trait that he appreciates in her. I just, I love that those are the traits. This, that he remembers of her thinking that she might be gone. That's what he misses is her braveness, her determinedness and her smart and resourceful, sarcastic nature. I love that. It just shows yeah. what's important to him and his personality and what he sees as attractive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. That's a very good point. Um, and I chose you're stopping a war, said his advisor and obtaining an antidote. And I just love that Torin is is just there to support him and I, I love him why he's there. It remind him why he's mm-hmm. there. I I just love that little bit of their relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. He's great. He's he's the he's stand the MVP. father the stand, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your... We often have said that uh Torin is the only adult of the entire series. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Because even Dr. Erland was like keeping secrets and yeah, making decisions that were a little, um, yes, exactly. Unethical, self-serving, a little immature. Um, yeah. yeah. He's the wise. The wise Warren's great. Yeah. Warren should be in charge. <laughs> Sorry, Kai. <laughs> Not that Kai would care. Kai would probably be like, oh, thank God. Here, take the keys. I'm going home. I don't think Torin would want to be in charge, though. Let's be honest. No, Torin is perfectly happy letting somebody else be in charge while he, like, goes home at the end of the day. Yeah. Takes his bubble bath. <laughs> he definitely does that with the Kindle, though. His port screen. His port, his port screen. <laughs> Watches YouTube videos. Yes. On Celine's conspiracies. (laughs) Yes. Like, what else is out there? I would love it if, you know what, in my headspace, Torin is so stoic. He's so reserved. He shows almost no emotion whatsoever. I would love it if Torin was like a secret Christmas romantic movie. Mm-hmm. Sad, like if that was his like guilty pleasure mm-hmm. or like Pretty Little Liars or something. <laughs> like he goes home and he watches Pretty Little Liars. Yeah, he definitely, you know, he support he he ships Cinder and Kai. So I think you know this goes against his job to ship them. So he like has to ship them in private. Yeah, he's like I'm I'm shipping you, but I'm gonna pretend that I wasn't involved. But so. I'll let you. I'll help you kidnap him. Yeah, because, <laughs> right. <laughs> you didn't see anything. He secretly wants the happiness for others. So right, he definitely likes chick flicks and you know those Hallmark movies, <laughs> right? So um, my quote was: "It was just him now. The last line of defense between Lavana and Earth." The last line of defense is a military term. It means that if an enemy breaks through this line, 
then the entire organization will be destroyed very quickly. So I think that's a perfect metaphor for what's happening because it's 100% true. The world is, the earth is being ravaged and ransacked by two things, these mutant wolf soldiers um, and the letimosis disease. And the only thing stopping those is this marriage. And without it, eventually the earth will cease to exist. That's yeah. literally the only reason why he's doing this and willing to do it. So, yeah. Yes. Now, how long would it take for the earth for humans to be like completely dissolved or whatever? I don't know. But when you've got that much warfare going on, mm-hmm. when the thousands- it's, a, it's a matter of time. Yeah. So that was my chapter quote for this one. This week, there were two Easter eggs. The bonus word hair appeared once and the bonus word mirrors appeared four times. Next time, we are going to cover chapters 47 and 48. My friends, where can people find you on social media if they would like to do so? It's at my honest book reviews. Just one straight word on Instagram and then the same, well, with spaces. With spaces, the same on Spotify. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. So go check out their podcast for more fun, interesting book reviews. Remember, you can join the Prince Kai Fan Pod Patreon and get in, uh, have a chance to be a guest on an episode with me, plus other super cool perks. Like next month, I'm doing an episode on Interstellar Cinderella by Deborah Underwood, which mm-hmm. is a children's story about a Cinderella in the future who has a mouse android and she works as a mechanic. Oh. I think it's a kid's version of Cinder. Yeah. It's, it's a fun, it's a similar premise, but it's cute. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone follow on Instagram, rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you very much, both of you, for being here. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. It was really nice. Keep, keep reading, keep listening, and until next time, don't get glamored. Bye. Ciao. Bye. The chapters discussed today are from Winter by Marissa Meyer, and the audio clips were from Rebecca Solaire's performance of Winter, a Macmillan audiobook production. The movie clip you heard was from The Princess Bride. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger, and today's special guest was The Book Was Better podcast. The intro-outro music was composed by Mapavo, and the logo art was created by Sunlit Tangles on Instagram. Thank you for listening.